Hello, and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9 a.m. or for our more traditional service at 11 a.m. We also stream full services live on our Facebook page. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. And this morning, we're going to have a testimony video for you of Anna Isley, who has helped out our church in numerous capacities, but one of her gifts that she is going to share with you is about teaching. and when I took the spiritual gifts inventory my top three gifts were miracles wisdom and teaching in that order since Mike swiped miracles and Bart took wisdom I'm gonna talk about my third top gift but the one that's first in my heart teaching I knew from the time I was 17 that I wanted to be a teacher a true departure from my mom aunts and sister who all went into nursing while I had many incredible educators in my life, two in particular in high school inspired me to want to be a teacher. One, a math teacher who I'd had multiple classes with, was a woman who was both strong and tough but encouraging and kind. I was captivated by her engaging stories and connections, her life lessons so intricately and creatively woven into discussions about trigonometry. And another teacher who taught the first class I'd really found challenging in school, one that I had to work at, but one in which I likely learned the most. Despite the fact that I hated the content of her history class at the time, she ultimately wrote my college recommendation letter and I majored in the same subject. I'm still in touch with both of them. In addition to them, I can still picture my four-year-old Sunday school teacher who taught me all the way through elementary school, I believe, and the way she creased the lesson book and the way she spoke in methodical, soft tones, sharing with us all the familiar Bible stories that many of us know. I remember wanting to sit with her in the pew on special occasions and the Christmas ornaments she gave me probably 35 years ago that I still hang on my tree today. What sticks out to me about all of these people is not just what I learned from them, but more about the experience and the joy of learning in their class. The space that they created, the people that were part of the learning, and the creativity they, employ, and they employed, and the joy of learning we all experienced. More than 20 years later, I've devoted so much to education and teaching, not only because it's a passion or that I have three degrees in the field, but because I truly think this is a gift from God that's continued to develop in me throughout my career. Whether teaching third graders or graduate students or helping teachers grow and improve in their craft or now to coordinating the learning of all the educators on my division on a large scale, the gift of being able to connect with others and engage them in learning something new has proven to be an ultimate challenge and joy. Teaching and designing learning experiences is a craft of intentionality and aligning the desired outcome with clear goal setting, developing engaging learning experiences involving connection and collaboration with others. It's getting to know others, planning on how to build on what they already know and to teach new learning in a way that's fun and exciting to be a part of. It's about identifying gifts and strengths of the learners and using those to help them access new learning. It's learning alongside others and watching light bulbs of understanding go off. It's about creativity and fun and making a memorable impression. 
It's about cultivating a desire to learn and be part of what's being taught. And yes, sometimes that involves bringing learning to life, making it exciting, like acting out a storm and being on a boat with Paul, or making an escape room about a Bible story. In the church, the teaching has come in the form of working with others, mostly children and youth, to provide engaging teaching so ultimately others can learn about Jesus, whether through planning and teaching a Christmas program or most recently in leading the Bible study portion of VBS or working in other VBS experiences in the past. Working collaboratively with my son to develop memorable, exciting, engaging uh, learning experiences that would stick with the VBS uh, participants that they look back on and be able to remember, like the story of Paul or Ananias, because they remember seeing it acted out or they remember the shock of being in the boat with Paul, not knowing what was going to happen next in that storm, or because they wisely solved the mysteries of the Bible school uh, escape room. That they not only take the learning with them and the content of what they learn, but they look back on the experience of learning fondly and want to know more. That's a goal and a, of the gift that God's given me, and he helps make that happen. The Spiritual Gifts Inventory talks about teaching as bringing understanding to others, sharing truth, and challenging others. Even when I think about my other gifts of miracles and wisdom, it's really about sharing examples and experiences within those gifts to others and sharing how God is or has been working. It's illuminating God's work and his teachings and his love in a way that's accessible, exciting, and relevant to others. I'm grateful for the gift of teaching, for how it shaped my life, and for the ways God has pushed me to learn even more about how we learn and how to design learning experiences and how to teach, and for the ways I'm able to not only use that in my professional life, but that gift in my spiritual life as well. Thank you, Anna, for sharing so passionately about her gift. It's hard to believe that teaching is her number three because it's clearly not just something that she enjoys, but she does it very well. And she is one of those people that has been able to take not only the gift that God has given her to bless the church, because she was right. I mean, the immersive experience that she and her son Jack designed for Vacation Bible School was not only powerful, but it was one of the favorite rotations of the kids. And if you can get second graders excited about hearing about a guy named Ananias, you're a winner. Absolutely. And so she has been able to not only bless the church with that, but then she has been able to take those same gifts and those same joys, and she's been able to use them to bless others, not just as her job and her vocation, but out into the world. So she's now at the point where she's actually helping other educators become even more effective and influential in the way that they teach and present, because Trying to transfer knowledge is not an easy task, but it's a vitally important one. And so her gifts are very, very much in the forefront of her life and who she is. Well, today we're going to be talking about teaching and prophecy. And the two that I'm not really going to cover in our series are speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues, because those are not very often manifested within United Methodism. Uh, it, it, it's probably because we tend to manifest the gifts that we highly prioritize and that we see as very valuable. So almost entirely, I can show you an example uh, of this in the stigmata. If you're aware of what stigmata is, it's a miraculous manifestation of the wounds of Jesus Christ. So people who are reflecting the stigmata will suddenly bleed from their, usually their palms, their side where Jesus was speared, and their feet. 
and this is almost entirely found in the Roman Catholic tradition. There are almost there are almost no representations of that in Protestantism because it is highly valued in Catholicism and it's not so highly valued in Protestantism. And so it manifests itself there because it's impactful and effective there. In fact, the first person to manifest stigmata other than Jesus is St. Francis of Assisi. And so it has continued since that time in the Roman Catholic tradition. But I have yet to meet a Protestant who has manifested stigmata. And so interpretation of tongues, now that does tend to be a Protestant gift that you see, especially in our siblings in Christ who are Pentecostal. They value it very highly. There's a, a definitive emphasis on the presence and the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the greatest ways to do that is to suddenly be able to speak in an angelic language. Now, in the United Methodist tradition, I am prohibited from speaking in tongues to you. Not that I could anyway, that is definitely not one of my gifts. But I'm prohibited from doing that because there's nobody here to interpret it. And it would be considered, as the Apostle Paul says, inappropriate for me to use my time with you in worship and you not understand what I was doing. So even um, when we have our choir singing in a foreign language, we have tried to put the lyrics up here so that there's nothing happening that you can't understand that's not in your native tongue. So we've tried to be very intentional about that in Methodism. But when it comes to, to teaching and prophecy, most people feel very comfortable with the concept of teaching, the idea that you are sharing knowledge, that you are passing along experiences that need to be repeated within the body of Christ. And I shared with you last week that my second gift is in faith. Well, my first is in teaching, and my second is in prophecy. And teaching is just something that, like Anna, I, I just love doing that. Um, but I don't understand teaching as I am a font of knowledge and pouring it into you. I understand teaching to be more of an engaged pedagogy where we are gathering together to share and to learn from one another, but also to be simultaneously taught and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. I have discovered this mountains of times when I have been preparing for a Bible study. I can't tell you how many times I've read my Bible or how many times I will have read a particular passage before we go into Bible study. And then I will have an epiphany there that I've never had before. And that's the Holy Spirit moving when we gather to share knowledge like that when we search the scriptures in community. And so for me, teaching isn't just about sharing my knowledge and what I've been given by um, my seminary education or my training as clergy, but it's also about learning together and learning from you. And that's an important part of being the body of Christ is that our skills, our gifts, our time, our talent, our gifts and our graces are all making us better. We're perfecting each other in what we do. And so teaching becomes very important because otherwise people aren't equipped to have the strength and the strong foundation that they need. There are so many times where somebody will hear something that's very upsetting to them and they will come to me and they will say, I heard this, is this true? And I can say, well, no, it's not. Here, here are the scriptures that would contradict what you have been told. Or if somebody is saying, I believe this, I believe in my heart that this is what God is doing or saying or what God wants, and I don't know where to find the text to undergird that and then I'm able to show them where that is and then equip and empower them to go back and have a firmer grasp on their own theological viewpoint and that's part of the joy of teaching is all of us growing and getting stronger together now prophecy can be a little confusing it is not divination uh, that is not the gift that we're talking about here the idea that you can 
um, determine what is going to happen, foretell what's going to happen before it actually occurs. Uh, there are instances of divination in the scriptures, uh, but prophecy in this instance is what Paul is talking about. It's about building up each other and sometimes calling us back together and keeping us focused on where we need to be. And so prophecy becomes very important because otherwise we might listen to a very strong or important voice, but we wouldn't be doing the will of God. And every single church at its core, I believe, is still trying to do God's will. But we can get waylaid or distracted or diverted, and, and sometimes we can become discouraged and not continue to stay the course. And the prophetic word is to call us back on that, to make sure that we are doing just that. When God's people would become overly influenced by the world or other cultures, God would send them a prophetic instrument in a prophet whose voice was to convey the things that God has said to them, to go, you need to come back to me. You've wandered a little too far over here. Come home. And so repeatedly in the Old Testament, you will find what we call the prophetic utterance. Thus says the Lord. When you hear that, you've messed up. <laughs> you haven't done the good thing. And so the prophet's here to go, nope, nope, come back, come back. You're a little too far off. We need to be over here. Now, that's not a really fun position. Most people don't want to be the rain on the birthday party. But what's important for us to remember is that if we don't have people in our lives, including in our spiritual lives and in our church, who are willing to say, we need to stay focused on this, that we can become distracted. We might think that we're doing the right thing, but not realize the implications and the unintended consequences of that. And so the prophetic voice is important there. Now, you're not going to win a lot of friends sometimes using your prophetic voice because nobody likes to be told that they're messing up. But you know that if you have people who are in your family or friend circle or in your life, someone who loves you so much because of the relationship that you have together, sometimes they're the only person that can help you before it's too late. They're the ones that are like, I know that you're not intending to do this, but this is what's actually happening, or this is what is going on, this is what you said, so that we have the opportunity to correct our course and stay centered in Christ. So that gift is really necessary as well. Now, some people think that prophecy means that you're just a preacher, but that's not true. There are a lot of ways that you can use that. Any good church is going to make sure that they have somebody in their leadership who is willing to do that, is willing to say, what, this sounds great, but I don't think that this is in alignment with who we're called to be. And so you need those people. You need the people that are willing to speak the hard truth, but do it not to hurt, not to tear down, but to actually keep us together. I think most families have somebody who usually fills that role. Someone who's able to say, we've gotten a little distracted here, we need to focus again. And teaching and prophecy are two of the ways that God is working within the body of Christ. Those are gifts that are meant here to build up. The Apostle Paul was writing to the people in Corinth repeatedly. In fact, we have two letters preserved in our scripture, but it, there's probably up to five. That is the guess. Some of them actually might be conglomerations of separate letters. And these letters, Paul is constantly writing to Corinth, constantly trying to help them stay focused, give them their prophetic word, and help them to come back. Because there's a lot of excitement happening in Corinth. Most of Paul's letters are written because there's something happening that isn't really great. He's got a strong gift in prophecy, and he's got to correct what's happening or correct a misconception. There's a lot of teaching in his letters. But if we pay attention to Paul, what we find is that Paul says, when it comes to the church, it is important that we are building each other up. 
It is really important that we stay together and nurture our relationships with one another as well as with God, otherwise we will not succeed. We could manifest the greatest number of gifts in the world, but if we are not united in Christ, we will fail. And so Paul is trying to get people to remember that. Now, every time Paul writes a letter, he's usually having to fix something. He does a lot of fixing in his letters. If he could go there personally, then he would, but oftentimes he was also visiting other churches and planting new churches, and so he didn't have the time to just run back to Corinth constantly. Unless you were in Philippi. Philippi just seems to have their act together. And so the, the letter to the Philippians is, is overwhelmingly positive. Um, it's also very early in Paul's ministry. But what we find is that Paul knows that if you don't build up the people, that they will fall apart. They will crumble under the pressures of the world and of life. They will just continue to be overwhelmed until Christ no longer remains their heart and their center. And he was trying to get them to focus and so it's because, actually, of all the prophesying that he had to do with the people of Corinth that we have some of the most memorable scripture in the New Testament. Some of the most hope-filled scriptures come from Corinthians. I mean, if you've ever been to a wedding, you have probably heard at some point 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Love is never envious, boastful, or rude. Now, I know people like to consider that to be a romantic love, but Paul is talking about the love between church members. Paul is talking about how a community in agape should love one another. That we are called to a love that is going to be typified and epitomized in our patience, our kindness, not being boastful and rude, and above all, making sure that our love reflects the love that we receive first from God. So we wouldn't have that if the people in Corinth hadn't messed up. What a redemptive way of looking at it. We would not have that. And anytime anyone has ever used that in their home or in their lives or they found hope and inspiration in 1 Corinthians 13, you have it because Paul used his gift of prophecy. Because he believed that there was something in Corinth that the world needed. And he didn't want division to be their legacy. Instead, he wanted it to be their vast capacity for love. And so we have 1 Corinthians 13. We wouldn't have these kinds of things if occasionally our brokenness, our sinfulness didn't manifest itself. Now, I'm sure that breaks God's heart every time it happens, but we also believe because we have had now generations upon generations of people who had the gift of teaching and had the gift of prophecy to know that God has called us to be a place of radical hospitality, unparalleled forgiveness and grace, and a love that is more abundant than the air. That is who we are called to be. And we know that, sometimes up here, sometimes in here, sometimes at the very core of our being, but then life happens and we get distracted or we get discouraged or something happens and we no longer stay united in that goal. And that's why relationships are so important. When we talk in the United Methodist Church about what is important, Paul challenges the people of Corinth. He said, it would be more important to me, not that you speak in tongues, but that you prophesy. Because five words of building up the people are more important than 10,000 in, in an angelic heavenly language. More important. And this past Wednesday, when I was Zooming with our youth for their midweek Bible study, we were going over this text. And I said to them, I said, if you could think of five words, five words, 
that you would speak the gospel truth, if that would be your prophecy, what words would you come up with? And they immediately started to think of some. I mean, it was, it was amazing how they could start to put together those. But what would your five words be? Now, I can tell you, if you're a United Methodist, one of those words should be grace. That would be nice. Because that is who we are. When we talk about all the diversity and the divergence in our fellow denominations united in Christ, what we find in our family tree is that everybody has something for which they are known. Something, a little spin on theology or something that is very distinctive, maybe about their practice, that makes them who they are. And generally, when you start getting together with other denominations, you're trying to find out and articulate what that is. And for United Methodists, unequivocally, it is grace. Unequivocally. Nothing overshadows it. Nothing undermines it. It is God's grace. That unmerited favor where God loves you and forgives you and doesn't just love and forgive you and forget you. God loves you, forgives you, and sets you free. Helps you to be restored so that you can go forth and do better the next time. Wouldn't it be fabulous if you could be one of those people who every time you made a mistake, you immediately learned from it and you never repeated it again? Wouldn't that be fabulous? How much more enjoyable would our lives be? <laughs> if you only made a mistake once, you only did that sin one time. Instead, what we find is that while God could instantaneously change that for us, God has invited us through faith in our relationship with Almighty Everlasting God to have an opportunity to be empowered, to participate in our growth, in our grace, in our embodiment of God's love and forgiveness. We have been empowered. You are not mindless automatons. You are God's embodiment of some understanding, some divine inclination over what you are in the image of God. And a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to figure out what does that mean that we were created in God's image? Well, whatever it means, it means that God has given us power. Power over ourselves, power over one another, power over the world, not just dominion over the animals and the fish and the birds, but we have power that we have been given. And we have been invited to take the key that God has given to us to unlock our shackles to our sin and our guilt and everlasting death and to not only rid ourselves of those things, but then to take that same key and help unlock another person, to set them free too. And we do that through relationship. We don't just do it by going out and blasting a sermon outside or running in and whipping a little bit of scripture study on somebody. Instead, it's about relationship. The relationships that are so important in the scriptures are the ones where we can be authentic and genuine and honest with each other. That's why God gives us gifts like teaching and prophecy so that we can learn and we can be equipped and empowered, but also that we can hear what God needs us to hear. Now, sometimes the upbuilding of the church is encouragement. It's recognizing what we do really well and telling us to persevere and continue and even make it better next time. It's that kind of mentality that makes some of our ministries so effective and in demand each year, like our Vacation Bible School. It's those kinds of things where people are bringing all of their gifts in one place and establishing relationship that make us capable of building the kingdom. If we don't do these things, what happens is that we begin to atrophy. 
It doesn't matter how many times I've read the scriptures. If I don't keep reading them, they become dead scriptures. But God tells us that this is a living word. And it is living because when we search the scriptures individually and collectively in Bible study and in worship, what we find is the Holy Spirit is moving and illuminating what's here. Otherwise, this could be like any other book. But it's not. It is a testimony. It is love letters from God to us. It is instruction. It is guidance. It is lessons to be learned and not to be done again. It is filled with the narrative and the stories of our people from the very beginning of our faith all the way through the incarnation of God the Son in Jesus of Nazareth. It is about his triumph over sin and death. It is about his resurrection, his promise to come back to us, and all of those things we have because from the very beginning, God gave gifts of a spiritual nature to the people that had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And those people use those gifts. And God's gifts change the world. They don't just change the world because it's independent. They change us and we change the world. Only God has been able to take the single biggest enemy of the early Christians and turn him into not only their supporter, their leader, an apostle, but God took Saul, a Pharisaic Jew, who was involved in conspiring, arresting, persecuting, and killing Christians and made him the single most influential Christian in the history of the world. More than any other apostle, Paul has shaped Christianity. You and I, we are Pauline Christians. Not Petros, Pauline. Because God took what we thought was irredeemable and showed us absolutely not. Irredeemable is not in our vocabulary. God took the one who wanted us dead and helped him to give us life. And so that's what these gifts can do. Now, Paul had a gift for teaching. He was a Pharisee. That was their job. That was their identity. Paul had the gift to prophesy, because he did. He, he not only preached in person, but he, he did this through his letters. He was helping keep God's people focused and on task and helping to solve their problems. But above all, Paul knew that one of the most important things he could do was to help us realize that God had given all of us gifts. All of us. In between worship services, I sit with that same group of youth downstairs in the youth lounge, and we once more go over the text so that by uh, mid-services mid on Sunday, they've been with that text two different times. And most of them have heard a sermon about it, so then they can fold that into the revelation that they've had about, and the epiphanies they've had about the text. And today, as we were sitting there, one of our young ladies was taking her spiritual inventory on her phone. And when she got done, she shared what her top three gifts were. And her top gift was no shock to me at all. It was compassion. Absolutely. Her second gift was miracles. Not only does she believe in miracles, but she makes them happen. She is out there making people realize that God is very much present and working in, in her and in her ministry and in her mission work and in our lives, in our church, in our community. She, those absolutely. Her third gift was prophecy. And that's where she got a little quiet. 
She's like, maybe I use it on my friends. That's a start because that's about relationship. You can say things to your friends that will be interpreted one way versus saying them to a stranger or saying them to somebody who's in opposition, your adversary. You can say things to your friends. And if the, that ancient hymn, that story about, oh, what a friend I have in Jesus has ever been true, it's that Jesus is going to tell us things that we need to hear. Things that we want to hear, things that we don't want to hear. Things that we need to hear, things that we have spent our whole lives trying not to hear. Jesus is going to say those things to us because Jesus has a relationship with us. And then Jesus wants to have that same relationship with all of us and have us have it with each other to have a relationship. Because when you start a relationship with somebody, it's an invisible thread. It connects the two people. There's something that now ties them together. Maybe it was an experience, an encounter, an introduction, who knows, but they have that little thread. But the more that you nurture the relationship, the thread becomes multifaceted. It becomes a cord. It becomes a rope. It becomes a net. It finally starts to solidify and it becomes cemented until it is literally a bridge between two people. And one day the person on the other side of your bridge is going to find their whole world crumbling. Their house will be on fire, their finances will be dissolving, who knows what is wrong. Maybe their body is plagued by a disease or by cancer and they have nowhere to go but that bridge. And they're going to cross to you. And what they need on the other side, we all know what we need on the other side of tragedy. It's not I told you so. It's not I tried to warn you. It's not uh, screaming and said, it's grace. It's grace. So in your time this week, think about your five words of prophecy. If the day happened and the person on the other side of that bridge of relationship that you have cultivated and you have nurtured and nourished and cemented, if that person starts to cross that bridge to you in their greatest hour of need, what five words are you going to speak to them? Will they be words of comfort and encouragement? Will they be about God's grace and mercy? Or will they reflect the world? You did this to yourself. If you had just listened, if you had followed what people had said, if you hadn't gone off on your own way, those are not the prophecy that people who are broken and hurting need. They need to know that they are beloved. They need to know that even if the whole world seems to be imploding and falling in on them, that you, disciple of Jesus Christ, that you will receive them with love. And we can do that. We can do that because God has given us everything we need to do that. By the way, those same young adults have a lot of faith in you because I asked them, I said, what gifts do you think we need in the church? And the adults in the room, we could think of a few that we need, but one of them goes, I think we're doing pretty good. I think we're doing pretty good. So yeah, how you use your gifts does not go unnoticed, does not go unappreciated, and it means the world because the world is what is at stake. And so may you continue to grow in your gifts. May you learn them, identify them, and use them boldly. For this is what God has willed for us. And your five words may unlock the pathway to God's grace. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.